Hey, Bluntheads, welcome to another episode of the Philly Blunt, a Philly Mag Best of Philly 2020 winner. This episode features legendary criminal defense attorney A. Charles Peruto Jr. Peruto graced us with his presence and provided great stories and insight. He spoke about his more infamous cases like Joey Coyle, the unemployed longshoreman who found a bag containing $1.2 million, and his case with murderer Gary Heidnick. Peruto gives the frankest discussion you'll hear about interacting with jurors and winning them over, some strategies into the defense of Coyle and Heidnick, the current state of Philadelphia, his desire to run for district attorney, and a never-before-heard story about his altercation with sports broadcaster Howard Eskin at the Palm Restaurant. Prudo could tell stories for days, and we're very grateful he shared his time with us. A shout-out to our sponsor, Shive Vintage Sports. Get all your game day and vintage Philly gear at Shive Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Philly-owned, Philly artist, Shive Vintage Sports. And also, Johnville.com, J-A-W-N-V-I-L-L-E.com, for the observations, rants, and ramblings of a born and raised Philly bloke, Johnville.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook, all as The Philly Blunt. And enjoy this really remarkable, fun interview with the one and only A. Charles Peruto Jr. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to The Philly Blunt. My name is Johnny Goodtimes. This is Reef. Hey, they call me Greg. And we are thrilled tonight to have uh, probably the, the best-known defense lawyer in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, this guy has uh, defended uh, the notorious, the famous, and even our good friend N.A. Poe uh, in a court of law. Please welcome Mr. Chuck Peruta. Yeah. Welcome, 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 sir. Thanks. Uh, great to have you here. We're excited to talk to you about, um, you know, about your uh, storied career here in Philadelphia. And it started uh, sort of under the wing of your father, who's also an extremely well-known uh, lawyer here in Philly. Uh, was, was, did you ever want to do anything else? Or at a young age, did you know you wanted to be a lawyer? Well, I wanted to be a movie star and make millions of dollars, but that didn't pan out. <laughs> okay. Right, so you went with lawyer. This gig, out is, all right. this, is, this gig isn't so bad. I entertain 12 at a time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, let, let's talk about the case uh, that made you famous, not just around here, but uh, internationally as well, the Joey Coyle story, yeah. uh, which uh, for those who don't know, he was the guy who found over a million bucks that fell out of a Brinks truck and decided to spend it, and uh, was on his way to Mexico when he got caught at the airport. Uh, wh what, I mean, what were your initial thoughts when you got the phone call for that case? Well, my initial thoughts were it was a hoax. I thought that, uh, because everybody was talking about it nonstop at the gym, at the supermarket, everybody, what would you do if you found a million to an unmarked hundreds? So when I got the call, I didn't think it was for real. Although I wanted to believe it and the way he was talking and the way he kept putting me on hold, it sounded legit and it turned out to be legit. And, you know, it turned out to not just be legit, but it ended up being a major motion picture. Uh, what, what, was, what was the case like in terms of... Um, you know, in, in terms of him as a as a person, obviously he was battling his own demons. Yeah. He found his million bucks. And what was your 
what was your interaction with him like? And did you come away wishing the guy had made it to Mexico? Or what, what, what did you think? Well, honestly, that case had – that case was the definition of media spin. Mm -hmm. the, uh, three months into the case, everybody thought that Joey Coyle was Robin Hood, that he got all this money and he was paying for a girl's uh, dental bills, paying for another girl's books, uh, tuition, doing all these good things because there were four newspapers in Philadelphia back then. And I was just giving them all a lot of malarkey and they were printing it. And I'm 20, <laughs> I'm 24 years old and I'm saying, is this, is this all you got to do to get the story printed? I, I was amazed. So I'm feeding them all this stuff that Joey was on a corner giving on hundred dollar bills and paying for all these things, when in reality, the movie was correct. He was on a three-day meth binge. Hmm. His brains were scrambled Jesus. all over the news. All over the news, it said they were unmarked $100 bills. So what does he do in his genius? He goes to Sonny Riccobini and launders good money for bad money. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was just so panic-stricken, he... He dug a hole in his basement uh, down on 2 Street. He cut the back of the hot water heater out. And, you know, what he didn't realize is there's water in a hot water heater. <laughs> and it, it flooded the basement, put the, put the cash in there, tried to go to sleep, couldn't. He got woke up about an, an hour later and said, oh, my God, they're going to find it there. And then moved it again, cut a hole in the ceiling and thought he was going to patch it. it. It was fresh. And his brains were so scrambled. That it was easy to catch him. And the other thing that was really significant about that case, the guy that was with him, Frankie Santos. Frankie Santos is driving. Joey's the one that discovered it. He said, pull over, pull over. He sees the back of a purulator truck open up and this bin come out. Not only did he <laughs> not get Frankie Santos one of the $100 bills, he gets change for a hundred dollar bills and gave him 50 bucks <laughs> for wow. driving. And that's how cheap he was. And it, that's what got him caught. Can I, can I ask you about that case? I read that it was important for you um, to not have his drug history be able to um, be told to the jury. And nobody heard about it. Nobody so it, heard. Why, why was that so important? Because then you, then you lose the fate, you lose the favorite son caption. He's, he's, he's Robin. He's everybody's son who, who's trying to make a living, is a longshoreman, trying to go to work, trying to make ends meet, and finally gets lucky. But if the, if the you know, jury hears that he's shooting meth and he wouldn't even give a guy $100 and, he, and he's hoarding the money and he's doing this and that, it wouldn't make him as likable. And I've been preaching to my law school class and everybody who wants to listen, a jury what does what it wants to do. If you make a jury want to acquit, they will acquit. And especially in a case like that where nobody got hurt. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so more recently, you were in uh, really a uh, you were the attorney for Judge Brinkley, who is nationally known as the judge in the Meek Mill case. Wanted to see what your thoughts are on the case because obviously it, uh, you know, there was the Amazon uh, documentary. <laughs> people really got into a year or two ago and uh, wanted to see what your thoughts were on the case and what your thoughts were as the attorney for Judge Brinkley. Did you think she got a fair shot? 
Did you think she kind of got screwed in the way the story got told? Well, you have to understand, a popular defendant with that kind of money and that kind of clout with the citizenry, it's hard to overcome. Uh, Judge Brinkley, people like that, even myself from old school where you, you believe in law and order, uh, it, it doesn't fly today. It doesn't fly today. He did a lot of things to violate probation, like pay somebody to switch their urine, uh, claimed that he was somewhere when he wasn't. He kept getting his probation extended, and we know that's a big no-no now because people don't want to be on probation forever. But to make him the poster child was really, really, really crazy because he did things that really were shocking to me. One of the things that disturbed me was he called me for representation, and this came out in, in that in that uh, in that documentary. He called me for representation. I went up to see him. I sat with him. He claims that I double crossed him. I didn't double cross him. He didn't hire me. He went with another lawyer, a fine lawyer, and I didn't get hired. So next thing you know, Judge Brinkley says. They're doing this, they're doing that, and they're defiling this, defiling this. I want you to be my lawyer. I said, fine. I told her, I disclosed to her that I spoke with Meek Mill, but that he didn't hire me. And neither one of us saw any problem because I was now her lawyer. And I wasn't even against Meek. I, I didn't care what the judge did. I just wanted to make sure that she wasn't slandered in the press. And, you know, he had a couple of New York lawyers that would say anything they wanted about her in the press because they don't have to appear in front of her. And they got away with it. And she's not the, the lawsuit happy person that everybody thinks she is. Otherwise, she would have sued them for slander and libel. And she never did that. So she got a bad rap because she was just trying to do what she does in every case. Did not single him out for harsh treatment. The fact is... If you're a criminal defendant in Philadelphia and you get assigned to Judge Brinkley's courtroom, you're not happy. You're not happy because she's a tough judge. So that case was a lesson in how to get rid of a touch judge, tough judge. Did you have a good rapport, rapport with her before that started, before she hired you? Well, I had an excellent rapport with her. That's why she hired me. Uh, I split my pants in her courtroom acting out. And, and making fun of a witness during my closing argument, I was all over the courtroom. I was having a ball. Made everybody laugh, including her. She turned her back on the jury and laughed that way. <laughs> and ruined my pants. Kept on going. My, my, my leg is hanging out. And I just, and that's what, it was great because the jury liked me because the case was dead. I mean, there was two positive IDs. There was DNA. The jury acquitted. So the judge and I got friendly. And that's why she hired me. And, that trial was about four years before she hired me. Okay. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, getting the jury to like you uh, yeah. twice already. I'm wondering how much of that plays into how a case goes. Well, let me answer this, this way. You go to law school for three years and you really study hard. Law school has nothing to do with legal outcome. Nothing. You could have, you could have all the book smarts you want. You could have all the legal acumen. You got to entertain it's about getting them to like you, not listening to the other side, getting them to dislike the other side. And it's not so much uh, what lawyers do with go in for their inconsistent statements or, you know, they're always like, aha, or doing these kinds of things in the courtroom. It's not about that. 
It's entertaining. It's taking their eye off the ball because generally speaking, if your client is charged with a crime, they probably did it. I mean, cops have better things, <laughs> cops have better things to do than arrest innocent people. I mean, it, 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 nobody's honest anymore, and, I, and I'm honest about it. it, it the, the fact is, most people get arrested or guilty. And when I say most, I mean that's a big fat most. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you how do you feel? So you you feel like defending someone that's guilty it doesn't matter? Well, let me ask you: What is more pressure on a lawyer, defending an innocent person or defending a guilty person? <laughs> <laughs> you defend a guilty person. You go in. Pay you the big bucks. <laughs> you give it your best shot. You entertain. Oh. You put on your dog and pony show. If they buy it, that's great. But if it's an innocent person, and I did have three in forty years, honestly, <laughs> guys, that's pressure. That is pressure. Because then you really want that person off. Yeah, and, and there's people identifying them when they weren't there. There's uh, evidence that's been framed, planted. Uh, there, I've seen it all. I've seen it all. You, you, you even get people in the courtroom to leg you because I asked, I spoke to a, a, a court clerk and someone who went against you as a DA and the court clerk said, very good lawyer, professional and courteous. And the former DA said, tenacious, decent guy. So everybody's yeah. liking you. Well, let me ask you, you know, you see these lawyers on TV and this Gloria Allred and all these people who have never, never been inside a courtroom. They're just outside with the cameras. If you go in there and start ordering people around, like, oh, I'm a big shot. I mean, I, I listen, I'm Chuck Rudo. How far, <laughs> do you, how far do you think that's going to get you? I mean, really? you got to make them want to help you, not because they have to do it, because they want to do it. It's just human nature. It's a lesson in psychology and human behavior. Yep. I'm preaching Dale Carnegie 101. It's really right. Uh, so I want to bring up something you did that I thought was pretty funny. Um, you had a piece of Santander Bank which encouraged you paying off a loan early and put up a billboard on 95 that said, Santander Bank, the bank that has robbed you. Uh, you seem like a guy that, you know, we talk about, you know, justice. You seem like a guy who doesn't take perceived injustice all that well. Uh, you see, my name is Chuck. Right. And I don't give some some things you understand right. we're no, explicit no. here you can you can say whatever you want here yeah. well I've, I've said for 40 years my name is chuck and i don't give a fuck you want to take two hundred and sixty seven thousand dollars from me and you don't have a gun or a pen <laughs> no. <laughs> no so they wouldn't give me the money i spent another twenty five thousand to get the most prominent billboard in the city Santander with their logo, the bank that robs you. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. How many lawyers from Santander, it's actually a Spanish bank, Banco de Santander, very wealthy people. How many lawyers do you think were at my office on Monday morning? I'm going to say 10. Yeah, a dozen. We met with a federal judge, and they had all the law on their side, all the facts on their side. I didn't deny putting up the billboard. And the judge says, what do you have to say? I want my money. <laughs> <laughs> I want my money. So she realized, I'm not rational. 
<laughs> because you take that kind of money from me, I'm not going to be rational. She finally said to them, you're not, this guy's not playing with a full deck. Why, <laughs> you know, if you think that you're, you're, you're suffering this irreparable harm that you allege for every minute that this is up, why don't you give him his money back, sue him later, and end this thing? So they did that. I got my money back, and they never sued me. Nice. <laughs> nice. 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 So speaking of people who uh, you, you said they, they, they said that you weren't all there, you, uh, you defended Gary Heidnick, uh, who's probably the most notorious uh, criminal, criminal in our lifetime. Um, why would you take a case like that? Well, Walt Hunter and uh, who's the guy? Vernon Odom. Were, oh, were big, yeah. They were big reporters back then, and they, they, they were around for this. And I had some regrets in doing it, but I'm still young. I'm, this is 1987. I'm 32 years old and uh, I'm surrounded by microphones. And a reporter asked me that question. Why would you take a case like this? And I gave the now infamous answer. I could give you a hundred thousand reasons. <laughs> like the and, answer. Yeah. and uh, mm -hmm. it was the truth. And, I got blasted in the press for that because I'm making a joke out of a very serious case where this guy took prostitutes and kidnapped them and put them in a basement for four months, all this other stuff. Hey, it was the answer to the question. And, you know, and, and somebody had to, right? I mean, it's, that's the way it works in America. Listen, it, you have no idea what it's like to be a criminal defense lawyer. There's... I, and if they're going to be honest, then you're, you're hooked up to an electronic lie detector where you get electrocuted if you lie. Every criminal defense lawyer would have taken that case, especially when you're getting paid, because there's, there's two things that fuel young lawyers. Publicity, to make a name for yourself. And everybody wants to deny that, but that's a lie. And the other thing is money. We're money-driven. So when the guy's got $600,000 in the stock market, and he's all over the news. That's a double win. I'll fight to his last dollar. Can I, is this, is this quote that I saw attributed to you today accurate then? Publicity is like sex. When it's good, it's great. And when it's bad, it's still pretty good. That's my line. <laughs> <laughs> That's my line. That's very true. How do, how, do you, how do you separate your personal feelings from, from a case? Like, How do you remove yourself from somebody like a Gary Hynek where you like, you know, you have that feeling in your heart where you just, don't want to be around them, but you got to do it anyway. All right. If that's the case, and I have had cases like that, especially child abuse, I just don't take the case. Mm -hmm. I, I can't. If I can't give it my all and give that umph, that that real the, to go to the mat for somebody, I just right. don't involved with it. And it's usually a sex crime that makes me feel that way. Uh, so I have one other quote I was going to ask you about. This ties right into it. So uh, I read you said, "No cop killers, no child molesters." But if you put six bullets in your wife's head or your neighbor's head, that's all right. Well, I mean, I think it's all right. You might, you might disagree with me, but uh, uh, do you know what a divorce costs these days? <laughs> Luckily, no. No, let me knock on wood. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so who, who are you a bigger fan of, Seth Williams or Larry Krasner? <laughs> well, let me, let me put it this way. Uh, Larry Krasner's not good for the city, but – He's an honest person. He really believes in his heart what he's doing. So that, to me, 
in my opinion, makes him a good human being. I'm running against him because those policies are bad for the city and they're going to get worse. Seth Williams, if you wanted justice, it had a price tag. He's a thief. He's a lion pig thief. And therefore, I think we're better off with a Krasner than a Seth Williams. Okay. And so we saw today Krasner said if federal agents come into Philly, he's going to charge them. Uh, do you think that's a good move or a bad move in light of what's happening nationally right now? Well, I mean, I know that he's for legalization of marijuana. And I think before he made that statement, he smoked a couple of puffs because he doesn't have jurisdiction over federal agents. He's got to read the law books before he makes statements like that. You understand? Mm -hmm. So if they come in acting under color of law, which they would be, they're not just trespassing, and they're doing what they're ordered to do, and he arrests them, <laughs> he's going to get it for obstruction of justice on the federal end. And let me tell you, our U.S. attorney in this Eastern District, McSwain, can't wait to lock him up. Can't wait to lock him up. Would you defend right. him? <laughs> I would. Sure, I would. That would make me famous, and he's got money. Yeah. <laughs> sure, hey, can I step back? It's a real simple formula, Greg. Yeah. Can, can I step back to the Gary Heinick? I was reading. Did you actually give the press the line about cannibalism, and did you tell him not to bathe and not to shave, shave and to wear Hawaiian shirts? Well, <laughs> here's the reality of it. Here's the reality. When a jury is deciding a case, the first impression being a lasting impression is really true. So if you don't look the part, if I'm going to make you out to be as crazy as a bed bug, you got to look as crazy as a bed bug. Right. When he was first arrested, he had a neatly groomed beard, suede jacket, Rolls Royce, Cadillac Eldorado, a week old. That's not sympathetic and it's not crazy. But when you don't bathe for six months, you don't, you don't trim your mustache so it goes into your throat and you're swallowing your mustache when you come into court and your hair is dandruff ridden and all down, down to your shoulders now. I think I got a leg up on you. You wore a Hawaiian shirt, the same shirt, every day. Yeah. What did that I smell like to sit next to? I even told him, I said, listen, I'm going to object because I can't breathe around your stomach. <laughs> so I'm going to object and you just sit in motion. As a matter of fact, I told him, you don't make a move. Anything that affects you, anything that they say is untrue, you sit motionless. You have no reaction to anything because you're crazy. So he understood his role, and I understood my role. So I got up in front of the jury and said, Judge, I just can't concentrate. The stink is so bad over here. He's got to bathe. You got you to gotta order him to bathe. I did that for the jury, and the DA knew I was doing it. But the DA couldn't prove it. So there's little things like that that made that jury deliberate for five days with overwhelming evidence. But, you know, I had Lynn Abraham as a judge. That didn't help because <laughs> right. uh, the, the district attorney in the case, he was an ethical guy. He did his job and he had the evidence. But really, I was battling her because she was the second DA in the room. It was, it was, it was, I was not going to go anywhere with that case. Right. As soon as I got it, I mean, why can't I get Lance Ito assigned to my cases? <laughs> yeah, I mean, did you think he was, you, you believed he was insane? I, I think Gary Heidnick was clinically insane, but that's not legally insane. The legal yeah. test for insanity 
is you literally can't know right from wrong. Well, if you don't know what's wrong to kill, why are you hiding the bodies? Right. right. You could end it there. It'd be just, and when you have a judge explain it to them in very basic terms like Lynn Abraham, you're not going anywhere. So the right. jury, asked for, jury asked for a re-instruction on the fifth day. She got off the bench. She came down like a lawyer and stood in front of them and broke it down for the in simplest terms like she was still a DA. And the jury came back in five minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah you, you said earlier, you know, when you were young, you wanted to be in Hollywood. Everything you're talking about is very Hollywood-esque. Do you feel like maybe you would have been one of the all-time great Hollywood directors? I mean, you've got Gary Heidnick wearing Hawaiian shirts and stinking and you know, <laughs> dandruff in his hair for the, ro for the role that you created. Like, do you, do you ever feel like maybe you missed your calling? No. I'm going to tell you why. There is nobody on this planet who loves doing what they do like I do. I'm 65. I am at least another 20 years left in me. People ask mm. me, why, why, why do I work out so much? Because you got to stay shaped to keep on doing this in front of a jury because it's showmanship. And, you, and I am not going to give it up. I could have $10 billion in the bank. If I was told that I could no longer address a jury, I would be depressed. Hmm. You just, you just, that's what keeps you going. I mean, you've got the cars, you've got the house at the Jersey Shore, you've got every reason to kind of relax and enjoy the fruits of your labor, and yet you still go this hard. Like, what's the big payoff? Well, number one, I can't be bored. And doing civil work or anything else is just boring. Laying by a pool is boring. I mean, being on the beach is boring. I got married last year, finally, so I can't even chase girls. So I'm totally bored. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, if I can't do this, that's my only form of entertainment. And I grew up in Philly where everybody hung on a different corner. You know, you had your crowd. And when I walk into the Justice Center or a, court, or a courthouse in the Burbs, which I'm mostly at now because crime is no longer illegal in Philadelphia. So when I go out there, it's like I feel like I'm hanging on a corner because I get to see everybody. We high five. We tell jokes. It's, it's like a playground. The courthouse is a playground. Hmm. What is your secret to staying in shape? I, I saw maybe a Stairmaster. Someone said you nap a lot. Hour of cardio every morning. Weights every night. And I do nap. I nap for 20 minutes. I fall asleep about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I wake right up, have my second cup of coffee, and I'm good till midnight. Hmm. And I, I recommend it because... I did that in law. I, I, a doctor told me to do it in law school, and I've been doing it ever since. But, you know, I can sleep six hours, that's 20 minutes. If I got eight hours of sleep at night and didn't take that nap, I'm, I'm worthless at night. Wow. Hmm. I saw on your LinkedIn, it says, contrary to public opinion, you're not a specialist in drunk driving or drug cases. Do people with vices seek you out more than the, the normal guy? Well, you know what it is? Uh, on my website, you'll see an article. It was the front page, top half of the Inquirer about me specializing in drunk driving cases. And I got this guy, Robert Kamado, off. It was like a 16th offense. And uh, I mean, it was a good article for me. You can't buy advertising like that. I had to be pulling up in a fancy car and walking in. And then two hours later, Kamado walks out a free man. I, I don't want to be labeled as any specific 
type of crime. It's all the same. What I don't like, the label that I don't like is, oh, he's a white collar criminal defense attorney. What the fuck is that? <laughs> Does that mean, oh, you're not going to... So if a guy gets his money by stealing, by robbing the corner store, that's horrible. But if you bilk an old lady, 93 years old, out of her life savings on some phony scam, that's white collar. Mm-hmm. Give me a yeah. break. They're both criminals. Yep. Right. Uh, obviously, the last you know the last few months things have been pretty crazy. Uh, you know, in in terms of COVID, in terms of protests all across the country. What's been your reaction? Because obviously, you're interacting with cops all the time uh, in what you do for a living, and there's been this massive movement uh, that is not particularly cop friendly. What's been your reaction and what do you think the result of this is going to be once we come out the other side of the COVID thing? Well, sometimes I feel like I'm a man without an island because I'm pro cop. And it's, it's because I like cops. I, I, I interact with them on a daily basis. I negotiate with them. And if they don't like you, how, how good do you think the negotiations are going to go? So basically, I love them because they're, they're not only they're here to protect us, but 95% of them are great people and great cops. There's always going to be a bad egg in every profession, in lawyers, in priests, in popes, in everything. Even in podcasting. <laughs> right, I heard you. I, oh, I heard about the reputation you guys have. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It does precede us. Yeah, we might need you to represent us. Yeah. Um, uh, so, um, a quote. Yeah, get, a quote I want to. I want to uh, get an answer from you. You said, "I know the ins and outs of the system. I know where the system is broken, and I know where the system is not broken." Uh, for the layman like us, where's the system broken, and where is it not broken? All right, when you get a conviction, and people have to understand, it has nothing to do with whether the guy did it. When you get a conviction that's improper because evidence was withheld or somebody was told to exaggerate something or you hit a witness from the defense, then the case is going to come back on appeal, and then the public has to foot the bill all over again for the judge, the sheriffs, the prison, the courthouse, the the public defenders, because most cases are court-appointed lawyers. It's an immense cost to the taxpayer. Just do it right the first time. Don't hide evidence. Let's have everything on the level. Give everybody a fair trial because guess what? 99% of the results are still going to be the same. Person's going to get acquitted or convicted based on the evidence. So, So just do it legitimately. And unfortunately, not all cases are legit. One thing about Christ, which I might sound like I'm in his fan club. He has made that office ethical. Hmm. Except that does not mean the office is good. I mean, it's just amazing some of the things that his new DAs are saying. They're not street fighters. A street fighter comes from Delaware Law School or uh, Temple Law School. Street fighters. They, They have people from Yale and Harvard. And if I, if I sound like I'm putting those schools down, that's because I am. <laughs> they're, very, they're very cerebral. They're very, mm. they, they know more law than I will ever know. Mm. But they can't persuade anybody to see, to see things their way. 
And it's the power of persuasion that is what a lawyer does. Everybody you see that a lot of a lot of big differences in the styles when people come from schools like that? Very much so. That's called the Socratic method. And Socrates didn't go to Delaware Law School where I went. And, <laughs> you know, you, you often hear when you're a little kid, oh, that kid's going to be a lawyer. He argues with everybody. Arguing with everybody doesn't make you a good lawyer. It makes you a lousy lawyer. You turn people off. Nobody wants to hear your friggin' mouth open again. <laughs> it's persuading somebody. Sometimes you could persuade with a facial expression or an arm crossing or something to that effect, a rolling of the eyes. It's persuasiveness, not monopolizing a conversation to where you think you won because you didn't let the other person get a word in. That's mm. not persuasion. So can I ask you a question everyone's got on their mind? How do we avoid getting picked for a murder trial if we're on the jury selection pool? Well, if you don't want to. Yes. Number one, I mean, that disturbs me because I think it's a really important duty for someone, you know, military service and jury duty. Our, our society can't function without it. So <laughs> uh, I know how it's easy to get out of jury duty. And I'm not going to answer the question because I don't think <laughs> I don't think you should get out of jury duty. I think it's important to get out of civil cases because they're boring. But I think criminal cases are really important. And like especially like, you know, the, the murder cases, I was on a murder trial or attempted murder trial. And it was fascinating. I mean, how can people watch Law and Order? but not want to be on a jury. Like it's, it's, it's like law and order, but you're living it. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's like law and order, but you're living it. With people yeah. who have nothing better to do all day except watch soap operas. They want to get out of jury duty. Yeah. <laughs> right. Do you ever right. Get, yeah. I mean, you've, you've, you've represented mobsters, pagans. Do you ever get nervous or scared of any of your clients? Yeah. yeah I was going to uh, ask that. One time I got a call from the bank saying a check bounced. Oh, oh I was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you, you've, 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 you know, you, you represented Merlino. Like you've been up there with, with you know, guys that are, uh, you know, you part of the mob and so forth. That doesn't, if they got the, if the check clears, that's all you care about. That doesn't make you nervous. Well, first of all, I'm doing my job. They see the job that I do, which has a lot of sweat in it. Even if I lose, they know that there was no way of winning. Mm -hmm. If you give 100% in every case, and I do, nobody's going to complain. In 40 years, I've never been threatened. I've never had a problem. I I read about some jackass uh, I had all these good reviews on this, uh, whatever, one of those sites were, Avo or uh, Yeah, no, Google, I saw that. You like a 4.8 out of 5, yeah. So I have a bunch of good reviews, and then there's one guy who writes a bad review, and I never represented him. <laughs> I actually pulled the records. I'm beating my head against the wall. Like, who is this guy? I, you know, I mean, there's always going to be somebody just a thorn in your side. Oh, they don't want to give their name. They're anonymous. But I never had a case that even resembles what he was claiming. Yeah, no, you're a movie star. You read the bad reviews. <laughs> I leave them up there. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I believe it. I leave. I believe in honesty because juries love honesty. You don't hide things. You face them head on. You bring it out. Don't let the DA bring it out. You bring it out. Hit it head on. 
and explain it away. Because if you want to hide and you want to be deceitful, juries see that. Mm -hmm. So I, I wanted to say there's a, there's a radio guy in town that half the people like, half the people hate. You had an altercation. I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it, if you want to talk about it. But what if you can and want to talk about it, what would bring you to want to just lash out at Howard Eskin? <laughs> well, I mean, I'll give you the story. I'm dating this girl. She was pretty hot back in the day. And believe it or not, it was 20 years ago this February. I can't believe it's that long ago. Wow. And I have nothing to do with sports. I even I can't even play them. So uh, Howard Eskin is getting on me one day on his radio show. So everybody's calling me up. You got to call into Howard Eskin's show because he's killing you right now. He's saying you're a, a mobster lawyer, a lawyer mobster, that you can't get up in the morning and tell the difference between uh, your clients and yourself. So, wow. first of all, the last thing I'm going to do is call into a radio show where they're bad-mouthing me. Perfect. Because that's what they want you to do. They want to lure you in. They control the microphone. So when you're saying something that's intelligent and going to win his audience over, the jury doesn't get to, the, the jury. The, the audience <laughs> doesn't get to hear that because the microphone's not on. <laughs> so I'm not going to grace him with that. So... After about, a, oh, and he was bad-mouthing this girl I was dating. She has to be a bimbo to date. Oh, wow. So I'm with the Palm. I'm with my older brother, my younger brother, their wives, and my sister, her husband, and me and my date. And Eskin's in there. So my date, who was a little more high-strung than me, approaches Howard Eskin, and he humiliates her. So now she comes back to the table more aggravated than ever. I said, I told you not to go over there. <laughs> so anyway, to defend her honor, she kept needling me and needling me. Uh -huh. I go over. And this is the truth. I stuck my hand out. I said, Howard, let me put the name with the face. I'm Chuck Peruto. At the table were Billy King, Tony Kukoc, and Matt Geiger. <laughs> there were He's sitting down, this schmuck. <laughs> meaning he only ever fought with his mouth and he's not from West Philly. He's sitting down. He goes, would you please take your seat and allow me to enjoy my dinner? I am not going to sign your autograph or do whatever else you would like. <laughs> wow. That's, that's the truth. So I said, you're right, Howard. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the floor. And I figured, okay, that was stupid. Now, I'm not on my own to get thrown out of here, but I might get arrested. Right. The Mater D, my right hand to God, the Mater D was a former New York Jets football player. I'm going to give you his name. It's Alex Plotkin. <laughs> this is a true story. He comes over with a bottle of wine for our table. Gives <laughs> me a reward for doing it. <laughs> so now, now the, the rest of the night goes great because we didn't get thrown out. They asked him to leave. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that goes under, that goes under his crawl. The next morning, he's blasting me all over the radio show. He's going to have to seek medical treatment. He's going to get me arrested. He's going to sue me. Okay. Lynn Abraham was the DA at the time. She's no longer a judge. Now she's in her true role as a DA. But I'm friendly with her. You got to understand, when you were in a long trial like that, she respected me and I respected her. Right. So... I'm, I'm driving down Race Street from state court to federal court. It's a light rain, and I see this blue car that I know is Lynn Abraham's pull me over. 
She comes up to the window. I put the window down. She goes, can I get in? I get, she gets in. I never told the story on, in the media. Exclusive. <laughs> she said, why did you kill him when you had the chance? <laughs> Obviously, she was joking. Yeah, yeah. She had a husband, Frank Ford, who was older than her and had been a radio legend in Philadelphia. And Howard Eskin would be on the, TV, on the radio program following his in the same station. And all Howard did was make fun of him, make fun of his age, belittle him. And he thought that that was the way to make a name for himself. So He's a fucking asshole. She had no Alleged, love Allegedly, allegedly. Right. So she had no love lost for him. And obviously she was joking when she said that. But, yeah. you know, uh, I never got arrested. <laughs> <laughs> so then he hires a big name lawyer, Richard Sprague, to sue me. Richard Sprague, he represented Iverson. So, yeah. So he calls me up. Nick Sprague calls me up. And I love Dick Sprague. He calls me up. He says, "Come over to the office. We're gonna we're gonna settle this very quickly. We're gonna do have confidentiality agreements. This is gonna go away." So we go over there. He's got his two lawyers that work for him. He says, "I wrote down a figure, and he's covering with his hands. I know you're gonna be happy. We're gonna wrap this up today." Spray slides it over, and he leaves the room. I look at the paper, it says $20,000. Now, the case is worth more than that. So I look at his two lawyers that work for him, and I went, oh, this is great. When do I get to $20,000? <laughs> They're like, what? <laughs> you assaulted our client in front of 100 people, and then you bragged about it on Angelo Cataldi's radio show. <laughs> so Spray comes back in, and he tells me how foolish I'm going to be. And he tells me why. I said, Mr. Spray, because I called him Mr. because he deserved it. Meaning a, sh a show of respect. Mm -hmm. It's Mr. Spray. You just told me how I beat your client up in front of all of the guests at the palm. And then I admitted and bragged about it on Angelo Cataldi's show. So here's what I say to you. With all that overwhelming evidence, what happens if you lose the case? That could be your career, no? <laughs> I said, because I'm going to give you my opening statement in its entirety right now. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the plaintiff is Howard Eskin. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I never got sued. I never got sued. And I'm telling you, this is a fact. Yeah. You got to write a book. Nice. I know, right? All right, do we want to take it to the blunt? Yeah. All right, we're sure. going to take it to uh, rapid fire questions, rapid fire answers. All right, uh, where are you getting takeout these days? Ooh, my wife does all that. I don't even know. Uh, what do you like I, in the neighborhood? Uh, I don't, I, I can honestly pass a lie detector test and tell you, I can't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, favorite fictional lawyer? Uh, the guy, OJ's initial lawyer, uh, F. Lee? Robert. Oh. No, no, left Lee. F. Lee's a lawyer. Uh, Robert Kardashian. Somebody? No, uh, uh, Shapiro. 
Robert Shapiro. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's my favorite fictional lawyer. I think you have respect for these two guys. I was working for a law firm. I would get uh, lunch at the Corn Beef Academy, and I actually was a Delaware law school student. Okay. And I always admired. I'd see Bobby Simone and Joe Santaguita always have a lunch together. If one Bobby. of those had to represent you, who would it be? Bobby Simone. Bobby Simone. I just put a Facebook post out last week because uh, Bobby Simone and I were probably tighter than anybody. Uh, when he got out of jail, he worked for me because it was payback because when I was very young, he was one of those lawyers that I tried a lot of jury trials with as co-counsel with co-defendants. And my dad was tight with him. So, I mean, I got raised by Cecil Moore, Bobby Simone, and my father. I mean, how could I possibly stink? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, it, it, I learned most from my father, but I, I learned a lot from those guys and Dick Sprague and Emma Fitzpatrick. But, you know, it was a great education. And Bobby Simone was unique. Now, I'm not belittling Joe Santaguita in any way, shape, yeah. or form. I loved Joe. I was very, I talked to him a few days before he died. I was in contact with him. Just a colorful guy. Funny guy. Yeah. Funny guy. Uh, what album are you taking with you to a desert island? Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, nice. What's your workout like? Hour of cardio, usually a stepper. The Peloton is boring. Uh, <laughs> I don't I do not do the program. I'd rather watch an action movie while doing a step <laughs> stepper because it, it makes me very, very my uh, heart rate because if it's, it comes to the crazy parts, I'm going faster. If it's the boring parts, I'm going slower. So I do about an hour of that in the morning and then the weights at night. I, th I think you've repped this friend of the Philly Blunt, John Belairs. Can you give us one word to describe him? No. <laughs> we uh, we were tight buddies for a long time we hung out every single day we were in miami every weekend together down the shore every weekend together but we had a falling out and uh and i really believe that if you don't have something nice just, just don't say anything at all because you know that's, that's just my nature we're, we're no longer friends oh my bad um, you also defended another friend of the blunt, uh, N.A. Poe. Uh, was that an enjoyable experience? Yes. Now, he is a funny guy. <laughs> uh, he is, he is uh, the real deal. Uh, he made some money. He's, he got some fame. But that's really him. I mean, he's a delightful guy to be around. I, I went to grade school with his mom, so it was easy to get the case. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know anything about him before I got hired. And he was a delight. And he, he's the real deal. Yeah. You mentioned the shore. Uh, are you a fan of the boardwalk? Uh, to ride my bike before they kick you off at noontime. <laughs> <laughs> so I, mean, I, I, I love riding my bike from Avalon to First Street in Ocean City or to Diamond Beach in Wildwood. I like, you know, it's about 16 miles one way. Uh, so 32 miles mile round trip either way. I run in, I, I head into the wind on the way there and then have the wind on my back on the way back. I'm going to follow up with a beach question. Do you have a pet peeve of the Shoebies? No, I mean, come on. It's the shore. I mean, it, it, because somebody can't afford a, a shore house, they're supposed to be looked down upon. Hey, you, you love the shore. You get there, enjoy what you can each, each minute of it. 
What's your karaoke song? That's something I never thought of. Uh, <laughs> Sweet Child of Mine. <laughs> <laughs> because, because I know how to scream. I don't know how to sing. Uh, I ask everybody this on the show. How do you make relationships work? You got to sacrifice. You, you, you have to put your ego at the other door. You got to check it. And you have to give and take. If you want to do nothing but take, ain't nothing going to work. When you get out of the shower, do you prefer a robe or a towel? Towel. I don't even own a robe, I don't think. My man. <laughs> uh, Philly, a year from now, going to be better or worse than it was a year ago? Worse. But two years from now, it'll be better. After you're elected DA of Philadelphia, right? You must be clairvoyant. <laughs> <laughs> What's your late night snack? Oh, my God. That's one of the reasons I work out so hard is because I have no willpower. I have no willpower. But I would say my favorite snack is refrigerated blueberries, fresh blueberries. Mm. I love blueberries. For real? I love blueberries. Wow. You know, blueberries, they're not cheap. No. I got, a, I got like a $10 habit per night just on blueberries. <laughs> I mean, it's better than cocaine because I understand that's a little more expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. my downfall. Uh, <laughs> I, I have a feeling you also love Corvettes. So if you could have any yes. car in the world, what car would it be? Guess what I bought today? Brand new <laughs> from Mall Chevrolet. I bought a brand a 2020 Corvette. It came in finally. I had it ordered a year ago. So wow. I got a a 58, a 62, a 65, a 67, a 69, and a 2020. Wow. Mm -hmm. Have you taken it for a spin yet? Yeah, today. Today. Oh, yeah. uh, what, are you, what are you doing this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, go down the shore. I have a, a bunch of couples coming down, and we're going to have a good time. Okay. You know what the license, you know what the license plate says on the 2020 Corvette? The license plate says, Mrs. P2. Mm. Here's why. That license plate made her light up like a Christmas tree. It puts such a smile on her face, and she might even get to sit in the passenger seat once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chuck, we want to thank you so much for coming on with us here. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks. I love doing it. I love doing it. Good All stuff. right. Take it easy. Thank, thank you, buddy. It's the sound of Philadelphia. Brotherly love, brothers covered in blood, the man's office is covered in bugs, the youth dreams cut short.